Hey, well, open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 25. Uh, I just happened to be getting dressed this morning and just pulled a random shirt out of my, uh, out of my closet and it just happened to be this one. And so I'm like, well, would you look at that? How about that? <laughs> Jim did the same thing. Look at that. Good job. I'm telling you, great minds think alike. So how about that? It was, uh, it was good to feel a little bit of normalcy yesterday just to see some college football and SEC football. So it's feel a, a, a little bit of normalcy back, it seems, to life. Uh, and it was even better to, uh, to see my Bulldogs pull off one of those for sure. Um, uh, so Genesis chapter 25, uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, let me get to my, uh, my, my stuff here, guys. I'll just have to trust you again to follow me since I've got nothing up here. Um, uh, we'll jump into the text at Genesis 25 and we'll see where we go today. Uh, verse one, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, as we go through these, uh, names today, as we come to a name uh, that you see in the text, I want you to say it out loud with me. Okay. I'm not even kidding. Uh, this is going to be good practice for you uh, to, to move through this. Verse 2, she bore him, here we go, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Ledeshim, and Lehumin. Did you get that? Verse 4. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Eldaha. Adeldaha. <laughs> All these were the children of Keturah. Now, hey, look, write these names down. You people who are like thinking about kids' names, write some of these down. <laughs> Verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Write that down. Underline that. It's important here in this, uh, in this text. Verse 6. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward uh, to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The fields that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's sons, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names. Aha, here we go again. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neboioth. Say that with me. Neboioth. Uh, hang on, I've lost my place. Uh, here we go. Neboioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdeel, come on now, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedema. 
These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Whew. Let me pray. Lord, we need you. Uh, Lord, we've made it through the hard part. And uh, uh, so uh, use us, Holy Spirit. Use me today, Holy Spirit, to teach me something, to teach us something about you. God, I pray for someone who's in here today, either in in this room, who's watching online, who may even watch this at a later time, uh, that here's the good news of the gospel, that there's hope found in Jesus, uh, and that today or that day might be the day of their salvation. Do a good work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, uh, Abraham gets married again. Um, He'll have more children with Keturah, and those children will be blessed uh, by Abraham that that we saw in the text. But as the text told us, who is the child of promise? Yeah, Isaac is the child of promise. And so you'll notice that more is said of Ishmael uh, than the sons of Keturah. Uh, And Ishmael is blessed as a child of Abraham, but he is not what? Yeah, he is not the child of promise. That's what we get from this text, that, that he is not the child of promise, that, uh, that, uh, that Isaac is the child of promise. And so this text is a narrative. <clears throat> and so as you get through, as you read your Bible, there are multiple different genres of uh, a text that we get to. And so this one is, is narrative, just tells a story. There is also wisdom literature that you might read. There is poetry, there's prophecy, there are the gospels, and then there are the epistles, the things that teach us some principles. And so it's important to know what the genre is as you read it so you can understand what you're, what you're actually reading and how it is that we're supposed to apply that. So this is narrative. There's no dialogue in this section. No one speaks. It's simply the author is recounting some historical facts about some things that actually happened. So as I was preparing to preach this week and got to this particular uh, part of the text, I wondered and I thought and I prayed and I struggled and I delayed and I was like, how in the world am I going to preach this? And I thought, maybe this is going to be just Testimony Sunday and where you all get to talk. And, you know, we'll just read the text and move on and you guys would come up and talk. And I, or I thought, maybe we'll just sing some good old go- Southern gospel songs all day long. And, and so that would have been a bad thing, right? We could have done some of that as well. Um, uh, but thankfully, the Spirit is kind. Uh, he is very kind in this. He has been for 11 plus years as, uh, as we preach through the text and multiple different texts. And so I believe he has something for us today. So in a nutshell, uh, this text is this, verses one through six, uh, Abraham remarries and he has children through Keturah. And then in verses seven through 11, Abraham dies and he's buried in the site that uh, that he had purchased. And then in verses 12 through 18 is the remainder of Ishmael's life that is kind of summarized together. And that's pretty much the text. So let's pray. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's not it for today, but that is it summarized if, if we just want to look at it as an overview. Uh, so what we do notice is, is this, though. Uh, very little is said about the last 75 years of Abraham's life. Very little. 
is, is talked about. There's not a whole lot of details about the last part uh, of his life. Uh, Isaac was born whenever Abraham was 100, and, and Abraham secured a wife for Isaac uh, when Abraham was about 140 years old. And, and then from last week, remember Genesis chapter 24, uh, Abraham had his servant put his hand under his thigh and, and promise him that he wouldn't take a, a, a wife from the Canaanites. Remember, uh, Kenneth Priestmeyer came up here, and we had a very uncomfortable uh, encounter up here last week, uh, just to uh, show an example of what that might have looks like. Remember that from last week? We're not going to do that again uh, uh, today, much to Kenneth's chagrin. Um, uh, and then later in chapter 25, in the second half of this, which we'll get to actually next week, uh, the text speaks of Isaac and Rebekah, and they battle infertility. And that'll be part of our text uh, for next week. Uh, and in his remaining years, uh, the text records that Abraham remarried and he had more children, but not much more said about those years. That, that's pretty much all we get uh, from the text. And, and the silence around this, or really the absence of any additional narrative, it, it doesn't mean that Abraham wasn't doing stuff. It doesn't mean that he wasn't discipling his kids, and it doesn't mean that he wasn't telling them about Jesus, or not, well, he wasn't telling them about Jesus, uh, but telling them about God and, and what, all the things that God had done for them. And, and so it doesn't mean that that wasn't happening, uh, but Moses uh, just decided that nothing more of significance was happening that needed to be described in, uh, in the life of Abraham. Uh, so interestingly enough, most of what we know about Abraham took place in about a 25-year period. Just about a small uh, like segment of his life, a small sliver uh, of his life between his 75th and 100th birthdays. And again, it doesn't diminish the other 150 years of his life. Uh, but from silence, we have to wonder what those years were like. I mean, what, what was it like in the other, other 150 years? What was his day-to-day -day life? What, what would, what did he, uh, how did he lead his family? Uh, what were the hours and the days and the years like for Abraham? And so I, it's just kind of interesting that there's nothing else said. I mean, the narrator mentions uh, Keturah and the children of Keturah and Abraham, but he doesn't really say a whole lot about the children. Seems odd, nothing but just difficult names to say. Keturah bore, bore Abraham six children, and their genealogy is just barely briefly traced, but that's about it. So let's look at verse one, and we'll see what it says. Verse one says this, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And again, like we said, little is known about Keturah. Um, she could have been a family friend, and that's who he ended up marrying. Or Abraham could have met her, met her on the early version of Match.com. I mean, I guess you kind of scratch some things in the wall and hope somebody sees it, and, and uh, that's the way they met or something. Or maybe it's just a happenstance meeting on a rainy day. Uh, who knows how they met? Uh, we just don't know those kinds of things. Uh, but two indicators really talk about that, that are talked about in this text is this. First, we see that Abraham took another wife. And this it suggests someone in addition to Sarah. Uh, and we know that at the end of chapter 24, Sarah dies and was buried. Uh, and, so, and, and then, secondly, we know that Keturah was described as a concubine. Look at verse 6. Uh, it says this, But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And so Abraham gave gifts through his concubines. And so the fact that 
the word concubines is plural, suggests that Hagar is included in this. So you've got uh, that he was married to Sarah, and, and now he's married Keturah. Uh, and, and then you've got to also think that um, uh, Hagar is included in this, and, and, and Ishmael uh, is, along, is included along with those that probably received some gifts. And so this story reinforces the fact, though, that Isaac was what? Still the child of promise. Isaac was still the child of promise. There was some mention of these other people. There's some passing mentions of them. But the text is very clear to tell us that Isaac was the child of promise. Uh, Look at verse 5. This is what it says. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So I ask you to underline it or highlight it or whatever you do. I think it's important for you to do that in this text. See, here's what we know. God has a plan, right? God has a plan. Say that with me. God has a plan. And God is the author and the finisher of his plan. He is the one who sets his plan in motion. God is the one who brings his plan to fruition. And God doesn't allow us to even derail his plans. No matter what we do, no matter what side streets we take, no matter what detours we might choose in life, God doesn't allow us to derail his plans. We see it all through the scriptures. That if God sets you in a path and God has some outcome for you settled, then God doesn't allow that to be derailed. Say this with me. God has a plan. God has a plan. Say this with me. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. Yeah. Say this. God doesn't make mistakes. And say this one more time. God, help me get on your plan. Yeah, God has a plan for you. And he is willing to reveal it to you. He is willing to show you what it is that he wants you to do and how he wants you to live and where he wants you to go and how he wants you to be involved. God is willing to show you those things. We, again, we see it all through the biblical text with multiple people. Some people listen to God's plan. Some people choose to go their own way, but God's plan still gets accomplished. Amen? That's what we see the text showing us. Look at verse 8. This is what it says. Abraham uh, breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. So Abraham died, it says, in an old age. The original language gives us the thought of Abraham being full or satisfied. Full or satisfied. And so it seems to suggest that Abraham died satisfied with life. Abraham died satisfied with his life. Now, pull that slide up there. That's what that slide says. Abraham died satisfied with life. Now, what we see is, uh, here's what we know. As a pastor, I do much more than preach on Sundays. I know it's shocking to you. I know it's shocking to you that I uh, actually uh, work more than 40 minutes a week. Thank you. Hmm. Technology. Uh, I joke around, honestly, that I only work 40 minutes a week because uh, uh, that's what people think that pastors do is we pretty much uh, preach on Sundays. This is where you see us. This is where you see us in our element. And then we kind of go and do our own thing or whatever we pastors do. Uh, But pastors do more than just uh, work on Sundays. Uh, Yesterday, I did a wedding. Uh, I did a wedding for uh, Jeff Doty uh, and... uh, 
Shell Chavez. Uh, it was really cool to get a chance to marry them. And that's one of the cool things that pastors get to do, uh, that you get to go and you spend some time with a husband and wife, no matter where they are, or, or people that are getting married, and you get to hear their story and you get to share in that whole moment. And the cool thing is, is that uh, whenever you, as the pastor, pronounce them husband and wife, they become husband and wife. It's, you have to wave your arm in a certain way for it to actually happen. Uh, and I'm just kidding. Um, but, but whenever you say it, that they actually become husband and wife, and it's because you perform that ceremony. That's kind of weird, still weird to me today to do that, and that actually happened. But then they get all the benefits of being husband and wife because I performed a ceremony with them. And that's, that's just an interesting thing, but a really cool thing uh, that we get to do. And honestly, we just verbalize what God is doing. That's what we do as pastors. We, we just verbalize what we see uh, God doing in their life. And, you know, the same thing applies to salvation. Pastors uh, usually get to be near the front lines whenever someone repents of their sins and believes the good news of the gospel, and we know that their lives are forever changed, uh, and they become uh, Christians, and that literally that their salvation is secure in Jesus. And so many times we get to be on those front lines, and sometimes that happens here in our gatherings whenever you know people come to us and they say, hey, I want to be a Christian, and we get a chance to counsel them and pray with them and, and share the gospel with them. And so sometimes it happens here. Uh, uh, sometimes it happens at a coffee shop whenever we might be spending some time with somebody, uh, opening the scriptures and drinking a cup of coffee and sharing the gospel with somebody. And so sometimes it happens in, sometimes it might even happen at a Halloween party. Uh, whenever you walk in and the spirit's at work and you get a chance to just walk in and go, let me tell you what God's doing in your life. And, and so we get to be on the front lines of really cool stuff like that. And then we get to be right up here whenever we do celebratory baptisms and dunk people and the band sings and we all celebrate. I mean, it's a fun time that we get to do things like that as pastors. Uh, but then there's the not so fun times. Uh, the, the turmoil that comes in church life, the sin that we have to address with people, uh, the very hard conversations that we have to have and enter into with people that nobody else really knows about, and uh, the difficulty of watching people come into your church family and then walk out the door. Those are difficult times for a pastor. Uh, it gets heavy, uh, it gets difficult, and sometimes makes for long days and sometimes even long years. And I love being a pastor. I love being the pastor of this church. I love being your pastor. Uh, it is a joy of my life to, to get to do this. I'm greatly fulfilled in, in what I get to do and, uh, and what I get to do and what I get to see. And I, I've told people before that when I get to the end of my life, I just want to be spent uh, for Jesus. I literally just want to be exhausted and have no breath left in me because I've been doing this for a long time. That's what I hope the end of my life comes to, uh, that I've just spent it all for Jesus. And so my question becomes for you, are you satisfied with your life? I mean, just like Abraham uh, in our text, each of our lives will come to an end. Each of our lives, we, we, our, our, our number of our days are numbered for the ends from the beginnings. You can't make yourself live more days than God has already appointed for you to live. You can live a healthy life. You can eat bonbons for the rest of your life and, you know, end up uh, as a, wherever you are sick in the days that you live out, but you can't extend your life any more than what God has already planned for you. Your days are numbered. The scripture is very clear about that, that, that nobody dies, uh, and nobody's life is taken too short. We see it that way, right? 
We want more days with our people that we love, but nobody's days are taken too short because God has appointed our days, the ends from the beginnings, from the beginning of time. And that may sound cold in the time of whenever we're weeping over a loved one. Nobody wants to see our loved ones go away, right? Nobody wants to see our loved ones die. But the reality is God has numbered their days, the ends from the beginning. And he's numbered your days, the ends from the, he numbered Abraham's days, the ends from the beginning. And the scripture said that he lived a long and a life that was full. So are you satisfied with your life? What are your dreams? What do you hope for your marriage to be? How do you want to live your life as a follower of Jesus? And if this makes you a little queasy to think about, uh, then maybe it's time to get living. Maybe it's time to, to get to living. And I would say it's time to get to living as a follower of Jesus. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about finding a box to check for God's approval. I'm not talking about uh, looking for, hoping that you get to the end of your life and that God's going to say that you've done more good than bad. Uh, um, my oldest daughter, Leanna, was sharing a story with me uh, this week about somebody that she is, uh, in a, was in a conversation with this week. And, and this person is a very devout religious person. But one of the things she said that was heartbreaking to me uh, was that she said that very thing. I hope when I get to the end of my life and I meet God that I've done enough good that he'll accept me. That's not good news, I'll tell you. That's not good news. Because then you've got to hope, does my good outweigh my bad? How much weight was given to this bad thing over here I did, and how much weight is given to the good that I've done? That's not Christianity. Christianity says our only hope, our only hope in life and death is to trust in another's righteousness and to trust in Jesus' righteousness, to trust in his sinless life, in his perfect life, all his good works attributed to us. That's the good news of the gospel. And so the scripture says, when we turn from our sins, when we turn from our own way of doing things, and we give our life to Jesus, and we go, you are now my king, I trust your righteousness instead of my own. The scripture says, when we repent and believe that Jesus came, he lived the life we cannot live, he died the, die, the death we all should die, and that God raised him from the dead. The scripture says, when we believe that, we'll be saved. And then we get all his righteousness. We get that accredited to our account. We get that given to us. And if you're here and you're living that way that I described this, this person that Leanna was talking to, then you're missing the good news of Christianity. Christianity says this is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. And so it's our hope for you today that you would trust Jesus, that the only way that you'll be satisfied in your life literally is to trust Jesus. And we'll give you a chance to talk about that. If you're here today and you go, I need to trust Jesus. I've been trusting in my own righteousness. I've been that person, Scott. I thought that's what it was. I had to do more good than bad. That's, no, that, that's far Eastern re religious mysticism. That's not Christianity. And today, if you go, I, I need Jesus, then we'll talk with you about that. Please don't leave here without us talking to you about that, okay? All right, let's keep going. Uh, guys, I'll have to trust you. This thing's out up here again, too. Verse 9, um, 
It says this, the text goes on and says, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of uh, Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field uh, that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And so Abraham was the second person to be buried in this cave. You remember that from, uh, from some time before that uh, he purchased this so that his wife Sarah could be buried there. Uh, and so Abraham was buried by both Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, and so there's, there's no indication in the text that Keturah's children actually participated in this. And I do find it intriguing that Isaac and Ishmael uh, participated together. It's interesting that they both came together uh, at their father's funeral and actually participated uh, in doing this because there's clearly some strife that existed at one time between Sarah and Hagar, um, and that was uh, Ishmael's mom. And so I think it's important to note that Isaac and Ishmael both buried their father together. See, many situations in life can cause division. Many situations just like uh, Sarah and Hagar, and, and just like we see uh, with Isaac and Ishmael, there's many situations in life that can cause divisions. Opinions, reactions, responses to certain things uh, can cause these divisions to continue. Or like we see in this text, even this particular situation was uh, definitely a sad one. Even in the middle of that, though, Isaac and Ishmael came together. And so my question for you would be, who do you need to come together with? There's no doubt that divisions have probably happened and popped up in your life. Things that have caused division. Things that have caused you to be at odds with somebody else. I mean, this was the big one. But who do you need to come together with? Who do you need to go to this week and put the past behind you? Who needs to hear you say this? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Whoever that is, trust the Spirit. And this week, go and do that very thing. Why do I say this? Why is this important? See, I, I, I believe that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as those who have been redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, that we should be the quickest people to forgive. We should be the quickest people to forgive anybody for anything that might have done. Why? Because we're forgiven. The God of the universe that spoke it into existence has chosen to forgive you and me of our sins against him. Our sins are not against necessarily just against other people. They're against a holy and righteous God. And he has chosen to forgive us despite our sins and sometimes despite our ongoing rebellion against him. Are you forgiven by God? Then who are you and who am I to hold someone's sins against us much more than God even holds our sins against him? If we're truly forgiven, if we believe that we're forgiven by the God of the universe, who are we to hold those against someone else? It's incongruent with those of us who follow Jesus. Uh, look, I can be just as guilty as you. 
John preached this to me. But I'm also preaching this to you. Ask for forgiveness and then forgive others. Verse 12 goes on. uh, The significance really of the rest of this passage is that God did for Ishmael uh, what he promised Abraham he would do. Ishmael is blessed with a long life and many offspring that we won't name their names again. Uh, and then you get into verse 18, and look at, well, look at what verse 18 says. Ishmael is described as setting against his kinsmen, and, and the New American Standard uh, translate this phrase as in defiance, of you, in defiance of his kinsmen. And so despite the brothers coming together uh, for the burial of their father, Ishmael went back to living a life of hostility towards his kinsmen. Even though they came together, he went right back to the way he was before. And I would just say this, don't let this be you. Don't let this hostility to continue towards your kinsman or toward your friend or toward your neighbor or toward the coworker or toward somebody in your family. Just don't let it continue. You're like, well, Scott, this is Old Testament stuff. They did things different in the Old Testament. I'm glad you said that. Because in the New Testament, Paul writes about this very thing. He exhorts us as followers of the one true God, the people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, uh, that it is incumbent upon us to live differently. Incumbent upon us to live differently. Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to have it on the screen. But You might want to make some notes. Because this is what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let our love be genuine. Not fake, not put on, but let our love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. We don't use that word enough. Uh, But abhor, what is abhor means regard with disgust and hatred. So this would read, Regard with disgust what is evil. Regard with hatred what is evil. Whatever is evil, whatever is not good, we should want to put away. Hold fast. Hold tightly to what is good. Don't let the good get away from us. Hold on to that. Hold on for dear life like you're being washed away by a current. Hold on to it. Verse 10, he says this. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Someone, now look, your family may be jacked up as as the day is long. But he wants you to think about this, that even strangers, we should love them like family. So if your family's messed up, think about what you look for in a family. And he says, love other people with that kind of love. Like you would love them like they are your own brother, like they're your own blood. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Uh, Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be uh, uh, slothful with your enthusiasm. And some of you need to tell your face that, uh, that you need to be enthusiastic. (laughs) Uh, That you don't need to, Jody, you know I'm talking to you. We've already had this discussion. He knows. He's like, he's, I know I, look, I always do this. But we, we need to tell our face that. We need to tell our face to smile, right? We need to tell our face that we love people and care for people. 
Uh, but do not be uh, slothful in zeal, but be fervent, be fiery hot, be fiery hot in spirit and serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice or delight in hope that there is something else out there. There is something more. Delight in hope. Be patient in tribulation. So when trouble comes, and it will come, when, adver- when adversity comes, when opposition from someone comes, what does the text literally say? Be patient in tribulation because it won't always be there. Just be patient that this too shall pass, that this will, there will, will be another day. Be patient in tribulation. And how do we do that? The rest of the verse tells us, be constant in prayer. Always be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Always asking God to help you. Always praying about the situation that might be at hand. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Find ways to help other people. Find ways to give away what you have to get to serve and to love our brothers and sisters. Find ways to do that for one another. Verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. What did I just say? Say that with me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Our calling is not to give the vitriol right back to somebody else. Rather, our our calling is to return cursing with blessing. Cursing with blessing. You get a lot of cursing, you get a lot of angst toward you, you get a lot of anger toward you, what do you return it with? What is it? Blessing. Verse 14 says, we shouldn't give any vitriol, and that includes in your social media. I'll keep going. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one. How many people? No one, evil for evil. How about just your handful of people that are on your list? You got a list? I got a list. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm trying not to have this list. I really am. I need you to try hard with I need you to pray for your pastor that this list goes from five to zero. Just being honest. But I need you to be honest with yourself. You got a list. I need your list to go from ever how many hundreds are on it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Ever how many people are on it to zero? Repay no one. Zero. Evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If anything ever were to get written about you or me, uh, let it be said about us. Just like some things were written about Uh, Ishmael here at the end of this text, let it be said about us, not that we lived our life in defiance of those around us, but instead we live peaceably with all men. Let that be said about us, followers of Jesus, that we live peaceably with all men. So so what what do we do about this? 
what do we take this text that has a bunch of names in it and all these different things? What do we do about this? And see, it, it seems like in this, throughout this whole thing and this whole study of Abraham that Abraham was blessed in spite of himself. That in spite of what he did, in spite of all the things that he did, he lived, uh, the scripture says he was blessed by God. And, and so one could wish that there were more acts of faith that were recorded from Abraham, you know, in the last 75 years of his life. It would have been nice to see some more things in the longevity of his life. But, but the New Testament does document some very things about this. And the New Testament is very clear that Abraham was a man of faith. And in Romans chapter four, uh, the, we read that Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And, and again, so I'll just touch on that again. If, if you think your good works are the thing that justify you, or that those are the things that make you right with God, then uh, Paul's wrote in, in to the Romans, he said, just as Abraham wasn't justified by his good works, he was justified by faith. That's the only way that you'll be right with God is by faith, not by what you do. Then James comes along and messes up the whole apple cart and confuses us all. If you ever read James, uh, James said that his faith led to obedience to God. So he talks about the works that Abraham did uh, in James. And, and what he was saying that because he was righteous, he went and did good works. They didn't make him righteous. He just did good things because he had the spirit of God that lived in him. Makes, that makes sense? That's what James talks about. And then in Galatians chapter three, uh, Abraham, the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so he believed, it was his faith that, that was the one that made him righteous. And then in Hebrews 11, uh, the scripture says that by faith, uh, Abraham gave up a life that he had so that he could be obedient to God. And he was talking about way back when we talked about when he left uh, uh, Ur of the land of Chaldeans and went out and did this thing that God called him to. He said, by faith, uh, he was made righteous. He believed in God's promise, claiming the land and, and, offered his son, uh, uh, and even offered up his son as a declaration of faith. And, and in the end, I don't think it's taken anything away uh, from these acts of Abraham's faith, but really what we see is this. These passages suggest more about God's faithfulness to his covenant than Abraham's faithfulness to the Lord. This is really about God's faithfulness to Abraham and, and his promise that he made to Abraham rather than anything that Abraham did because it wasn't Abraham justifying himself. You see that? It wasn't Abraham that justified himself. It was God who justified Abraham. Huge difference. And we do see the impact of one man's life of faith. Uh, we see that Ishmael and Keturah, they were blessed because they had interacted with Abraham. And, and so Abraham's life impacted other people's around it. And, and just like I asked you before, how is your life impacting other people? How is your life impacting other people around you? Hopefully, it's for the good. It's important for us to be, as, we, as the scripture said that Abraham lived a full life, that he was satisfied with his life. And so we don't have to do these huge, big, grandiose things uh, in the name of God. We don't have to do those big, grandiose things. All of us won't do big, grandiose things. But we are all called to live a life of faith. That for whatever days and months and years, hopefully for each of us that we have left, we're called to live this life of faith. The text suggested that Abraham was satisfied with his life. And so God has you wherever you are in your life. 
He has you there for a purpose. He has you sovereignly placed wherever he has you for a purpose, to reach a specific people, to love a specific people, to care for, to invite in, to serve, to give to. He has you in a specific place for the people he has intersected you with in your life. And so for whatever years he gives you, I pray that you'll all finish well. Remember this, God is more concerned is more committed to his promise than we are. Remember, this is God's gig. Because I, I can look at my own life and go, man, I just get derailed sometimes. You can look at your life and go, man, I just get derailed sometimes. And the good news is that it's not about our being perfect and our commitment. It's about God's commitment to us. He's going to accomplish his uh, purposes that he has through us regardless of what we do. Now, I'm not saying you just throw all caution to the wind and go do it, but I'm saying that be aware of that. He's going to get his, his deeds accomplished through us that he needs to get accomplished. And remember this, that the Old Testament, when we read this Old Testament, uh, it, the Old Testament people are types and shadows of the Messiah who was to come. And so the promise from God is that, that a promised one would come and crush the head of our enemy and end all the strife, all the strife that we saw between uh, the families in Abraham's lineage. And the son of that promise is Jesus But the problem is, we're all too busy trying to build our own identity, our own life, on something, on something besides Jesus. So you need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of this. That we're all trying to build our life on something. The life we have, the years we have. We're all trying to build it on something besides Jesus. And that's where we get derailed. Despite the fact that Jesus said this, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Nobody will ever snatch you out of my hand. I've come to give you peace. John wrote, all who receive him and believed his name, he gave, Jesus gave the rights to become children of God. And so my hope for us, as, as we've basically looked at someone's funeral, Abraham's funeral, that at the end of your life, when the preacher stands up to give your eulogy, kind of the way this was done uh, for Abraham, that he'll say about you, they had a life following Jesus. They say a lot of things about you. I, I do a lot of funerals. I go to a lot of funerals, and a lot of things get said. A lot of things get said about people's athletic prowess or their business acumen or, or their uh, way they serve the community. Or, or all those things are good. But only one thing matters. That's what you did with Jesus. See, Christianity is not about you being good. It's about you being forgiven. Abraham knew this. I hope you do too. God was faithful to Abraham. He's faithful to you and me if 
we're followers of his. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And God is faithful to call many to himself. And I believe that's what he's doing today. I believe that some of you today have just had to be think about what it is that I'm doing with God. How am I responding to God? What am I doing with this message of the gospel? Either today or every week as you walk in here, as Pastor Scott continues to tell us about Jesus, and it's not about our good works, it's not about we do more good than bad, or we're going to come to the end of our life like Abraham did, and and what are we going to do when we step out of this life into the next one? Some of you are having to think about that today. It is my hope uh, for each of you today that you'll believe the gospel. You'll rest in the finished work of Jesus and not your own. You'll rest in the promise of God. Abraham rests in the promise of God. And the promise of God for you and me today is that Jesus saves. And if you repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in the, his finished work and not your own righteousness, Scripture says that you will be saved. His life, he lived the life we cannot live. He died the death we all deserve to die. He was resurrected from the grave, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So it's our hope that you will give the rest of your life until God calls you home to Jesus today. Let me pray for us.